Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 341. Self-control is strength. Right thought is mastery. Calmness is power. James Allen. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble, humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Music Bed. As filmmakers, we're always looking for songs and music for our projects, but it's such a pain in the butt to license and go get music, and it's just been a nightmare. But Musicbed has changed all of that. You can download a single song, get unlimited music with a subscription, or even create a custom song or score from scratch. They already have over 20,000 songs, beautifully categorized, and their catalog is growing every single day. If you want to check it out, just go to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash Musicbed. And because you are Indie Film Hustle Tribe members, you get one month for free to try it out or 20% off a single song purchase. Just enter the promo code Indie Film Hustle. And today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a money-making business. In it, I discuss how to actually create the film entrepreneur model and how to make money with your film or films and do it again and again so you can actually build a successful career and business. So if you want to pre-order the book, head over to filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. And if you haven't already, please sign up for my new podcast, The Film Entrepreneur Podcast. Just head over to filmtrepreneur.com or filmmakingbusiness.com is a quick little hack to get there. And there where you'll get a ton of new information about uh, how to become a film entrepreneur, how to become an entrepreneurial filmmaker and make a living with your films. So definitely check that out. Now today on the show, I am bringing you live from the 2019 Holly Shorts Film Festival, my talk on building an audience online with my brother from another mother, R.B. Bato the reigning champion of having been on this show the most times. I think we're at eight or nine times at this point in the game. So you guys should be very familiar with RB. And of course, every time RB and I get together, it is just hilarity, knowledge bombs, inspiration, all sorts of things all rolled up into one. I love talking with this man. We have to create some sort of sitcom together, RB and I. You know, please write, do a petition. You know, put it out there on social media, you know, that we need to be 
some sort of like, you know, odd couple. It would be fantastic. The vegan, the meat eater, the drinker, the non-drinker, it would be fantastic. <laughs> but seriously, it was a great time and I can't wait for you guys to hear it in its entirety. So please, without any further ado, enjoy my conversation with R.B. Bato at the 2019 Holly Shorts Film Festival. So every time we get together, I mean, we've done, I think we've done this three times in the Holly at, Shorts? At he, uh, here. At here. We've, we've done, done it a million times. Yeah, so every time me and R.B. get together, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. We love doing it, okay. and, and it's a rarity to get us both in the same place at the same time. <laughs> so uh, we're here to talk about building an audience. I'm sure we're going to skew off of other, uh, other avenues as well, but... Um, uh, for everybody who doesn't uh, know who I am, I run a website called uh, Indie Film Hustle. It's uh, I also run a podcast. It's the number one filmmaking podcast on uh, Apple uh, Podcasts right now. And uh, I also run uh, Filmtrepreneur.com, which is aimed at your uh, how to make a business out of your movie and how to you know, generate actual money out of your movie. And I also run Bulletproof Screenwriting's podcast, which is all about how to help screenwriters become better screenwriters. And uh, I've got a thousand other things I do, so I won't go on too long. But we also ha I also have a book, we'll talk about that as well. And uh, and then we made, RB and I made a movie together. Well, you made the movie. I made a movie, I invited RB to be in my movie. And the movie was called On the Corner of Ego and Desire, which is a kind of the best in show meets spinal tap for independent filmmakers. And we actually went to Sundance and shot the movie completely guerrilla style. Uh, in four days, and uh, RB just showed. Well, we could tell the story about your your story, but I told RB, I'm like RB, this is this is how I pitched it. I'm like RB, I'm writing a movie. We're gonna shoot it at Sundance, and I want you to be in it. And RB just like, all right, where, where do you need me? I'm like, it's gonna be at you know that that one place that we're. At. Oh yeah, that place, sure. I need you there about twelve o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. He's like, sure, why not? Uh, yeah, sure. So then. The whole time we're there, everyone's like, is RB going to show up? I'm like, RB will be here. RB will be here. And uh, oddly enough, he had a drink in his hand when he walked in. <laughs> no. And, uh, and he killed it. He was, he was the producer that they were chasing the entire time. He's the big time producer in the movie. And I always knew that he had, uh, you know, he had the chops to be a good actor. Because he was an actor in the olden days. Back in the olden days. Like, was that the 80s, the 70s? When was that? <laughs> But he was this good. is why we don't get together too often. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that's a little bit about me. I'm sure Arby has a few things to say about himself. And what he does. Yeah, that was uh, good. Yeah, we can tell that story. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah, uh, Rich Botto, or as Amanda said, Richard Botto. My mother happens to be in the audience tonight. This is the first time she's ever gotten to see me speak anywhere. She's in town. So she's the only person that calls me Richard. Uh, but somehow know that stuck with along tone, the with way. The tone, with a right? tone. With a tone. With a tone. But a lot of people know me as RB, and a lot of people know me from social media as RB walks into a bar, as we talked about earlier. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Stage 32, as Amanda said. Stage 32 was a brainchild I came up with about eight years ago because uh, I understood the importance of social media in the life of a creative, but didn't believe that Facebook and Twitter were the places to go per se. Um, I was connecting with a lot of people that were in the film industry, but I was looking at their salads, their dogs, uh, their babies, and not talking anything about film. So I decided to start a platform where it would be strictly creatives and where we had like-minded individuals coming together to make stuff happen, to make things happen. So 
Relationships are everything in this business. We're going to talk a lot about that tonight. And uh, this is why I started the platform. I really started it for myself, to be perfectly honest with you. I started with 100. I went to 100 of my friends in the industry, uh, told them to come on board. I, I did it backwards. I actually built it first. I put my money where my mouth was and built it first and invited them to come on board so they had no excuse to not try it. And I said, if you like what we're doing, invite at least five fellow creatives. If you don't, give me three reasons why. 97 of them joined and invited at least five people. The other three gave me their three reasons why and then I browbeated them into joining and they started inviting people. And within three months, because every single person that joined the platform got that same message, within three months we went from 100 people to 5,000 people and now we're well over a half million people worldwide. We're partners with Can, AFM, Raindance, Holly Shorts, you name it. Uh, and as Amanda said, we have 500 people, 500 uh, development executives, agents, managers, producers that teach for us. I started as an actor, as Alex said. I'm a producer and a writer here in LA. And uh, we could talk a little bit about the films and all of that. And Franco, who's here, yes. is actually one of our instructors and has yes. done extremely well. Um, so that's a little bit about me. We can get more into that and feel free to bring any questions you have. Yeah, and uh, and Franco was also on my my podcast uh, many a while ago, and that's how we met. I reached out to, to RB and said, "Hey, you want to be on my podcast?" And I was on episode twenty nine, I think you came out. So we're, I'm well over three hundred, which is clearly twenty eight. Too late, obviously, obviously. <laughs> but uh, from that moment, the moment that we it was it was he had me at hello. It was it was it was that, and our first interview I think went like. Two hours, <laughs> at least. Had and it was just like it, I always, I always refer to him as my brother from another mother because it's just that that kind of rapport that we have with each other. And then ever since then, I think you still have the record for being on my show the most. I think it's eight guests spots on the show in different variations, and none in two years. It's been this, a while. This bastard. It's right? been a while. It's been it's been a minute. So we're gonna, he's going to come back on. This is going to be on the podcast. I don't know if you know. You're on the podcast right now. There you go. See, it's, like instant, it's instant gratification. Right? So let's talk about building an audience. Um, I know a lot, everybody's always saying, "Oh, you've got to build an audience. You've got to cultivate an audience to sell a movie to." And and it's all about the audience, audience, audience. And everyone's always asking, "How do you build an audience?" I'll tell you how I built my audience, and, and then RB can talk to you about how he built his audience. I, I, my audience was going to be filmmakers, filmmakers, and then screenwriters. Both of those, those that those niche audiences is who I was going after. So I decided to go to where they were hanging out, and and just start talking to them, start providing value to that audience. I started creating content for that audience. You can provide value in three ways: you can educate them, you can make them, you can entertain them, or you can inspire them. It's very simple. Uh, those are the three ways you can do it. And I just started creating content for my audience in that way. And within, I think, I went from, I think the first month I launched, I had like 5,000 total hits to my website, where then the second month I was at around 40,000. And it just kind of ballooned from there because I was, I'm also relentless. I, I mean, you can't go online without seeing something. If you're a filmmaker, you, you see something in the film hustle or if now film entrepreneur or bulletproof screenwriting somewhere in Facebook or Twitter or something like that. So I just kept pounding and pounding and just providing more and more value and just giving that value away. I wasn't charging for anything. It was just I was building my audience. And, and when you provide value, and also value doesn't mean you have to create something. You can actually curate as well. 
You can find articles from other websites. You can find videos from other websites and curate them. That's another way of building an audience because you become a value. You're providing value to them. If I don't have to go to YouTube to find out what the latest cool video on how to you know, light a scene is and you're the one, I'll, I'll just subscribe to you and I'll just keep showing up there. So that's how I slowly built my audience. Uh, and then from there, it kind of just ran like wildfire afterwards. But those are the biggest tips I can say about building an audience. Go to where they are, provide immense amount of value. I mean immense. You can't hack it. You can't cheat it. Don't buy followers. It doesn't work. Those are vanity matrix. Uh, vanity matrix, right? So it's vanity matrix. It's not something that's really means anything. And people will know. Because yeah, I'm sure you've seen a couple of these social media accounts that are like, oh, they've got a million, but like if you, they post one thing and there's like two likes, you know, and their mom said, hey, nice. Like that's, that doesn't make sense if you have a million followers. You should have a little bit more engagement for it. So there's that. But that's how I did it. RB has a different story. No, not really. Okay, I mean, in, in a lot of ways. Well, no. I mean, it, you're right. The, the key word you're going to hear tonight is again and again and again is value and the value that you bring. Uh, piggybacking on what you were saying about fake followers and everything like that, it fascinates me. You guys are, I'm assuming, all filmmakers and some of you are probably writers. It fascinates me how many people will, uh, you know, go with a brand, you know, go buy coverage or go buy whatever, you know, take education, whatever from a brand because of the amount of followers they have and not do a little digging into whether those followers yes. are real or not. Same thing with film festivals. You'll see a lot of these film festivals where they'll like come submit and they have like, you know, 50,000 followers. But if you click on their followers, you'll see that they're all empty heads or as they call it on Twitter, eggheads. You know, they, they have no profile. They have no nothing. They've bought those followers. So do your due diligence. But let's get back to building an audience. Sure. Um, the reason we were able to go from 100 people to, you know, now, I mean, well over a half million people worldwide with Stage 32 is the messaging. The messaging was very simple, and you still, if you join Stage 32, and I hope you guys will pull out your phone, I'm not even joking, go on your browser right now and put stage32.com in so you don't forget it, because it's free, and you know, you can network immediately with half a million people worldwide. But the message you'll get on your wall is the same message that you got eight years ago, which basically says, this is a community for you, built by you. And that's why we ask you to invite at least five fellow creatives, okay? It's free to join. The education is premium, but you can network for free. Same thing as like LinkedIn or anybody, any of these other social media platforms. The whole point of the matter is, is that we're giving you ownership. We're saying to you that if you go out there and you put in the work and you put in the time and you help us build the community, you're going to create more opportunities. The more people, the more opportunities. If you're a filmmaker and you're looking for casting crew, you're going to find it on there. If you invite people, there's going to be more people on there for that to happen. There's going to be a bigger pool of talent. That's how we were able to get. We haven't spent a dime on advertising. I mean, we're from 100 to over half a million people. The other part of it is exactly what Alex said, is the value. We bring tremendous value to the community at all times. We offer a ton of free content, but we ask the community to do the same. We ask them to bring content to us. We ask them to post articles, videos, things of that nature. The other value you could bring, by the way, is very, very simple. I, how many people in this room would identify as uh, introverts? Would you say you're introverted? They're introverts. They're not going to raise not gonna their hands. They're not going to raise their hands. <laughs> this is a safe place. Raise your hand if you're introverted. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
introverts, people who have a hard time, and I, and I hear this all the time, they're like, you know, we hear what you're saying, but it's very difficult for us. There are three ways, in my opinion, where you can get out of that, where it's okay, where you're behind your, you know, you're behind the glow of your screen, so to speak, and that you could bring value. One is what Alex said, sharing content. Two is creating content. When I say sharing content, by the way, I hope you're all reading the trades. It's part of your job, okay? And if you're reading the trades every morning, as you should, and knowing what's going on in the business, as you should, if you read something that's really interesting, share it with people. And just put a little note on why it's interesting to you. Hey, I read this article this morning. It's really interesting. What do you guys think? I just gave away my third, my third uh, way to bring value. But the first one is share the content that is important to you and that you think is valuable to you. Share it with other people. The second thing is, compliment people on the value that they bring to you. If somebody shares a piece of content on social media and you find value in it, thank them for it. Tell them that it's fantastic. Tell them, you know, you appreciate that. You're bringing value to the other person. I don't care what their status is, how many followers they have. If they're sharing something, they want a response. Doesn't matter, okay? And the third thing is to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask the biggest, you know, you and I know this story, I mean, I won't get into it, but I mean, it's in the book, but I mean, the, you know, it doesn't matter. There's a story in the book about a very, very big director, Oscar winning director and writer, and the value that a writer, that was an unknown writer, brought to this, to this gentleman. And it's a fascinating story. It was just that she asked him a question that was so off the beaten path that it brought value to him. He was astonished that she would have even thought of it. You could bring value to anyone. That's three ways to do it. And anyone can do it. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. There's just really no excuse, actually. Can, can, I, want, I want to just talk about one thing that I think is, is a just a virus in our community in regards to um, audience building and just networking in general. How, and, and it works in the real world as well as online. How many people... Uh, well, I'm going to tell you the story, what, what happened to me on Saturday's panel. I was, I was moderating a panel with some really heavy hitters in the, in the space. These guys are all financiers, uh, producers. These guys are making $20, $30 million movies. They're heavy hitters. And some guy in the front row raised his hand and was like, what do I need to do to get you to watch my short film? And you could feel the awkwardness in the room. And like, and not in the room, not only in the room, but on the panel because they're like, they're just not used to that. I am. So I had no problem putting him in this place really quickly because I said, well, listen, dude, first thing is that don't do that. Like, don't do that. Like, if you meet someone at a bar and you're like, hey, hey, I, want, I need this, I need this, I need this, I want this, I want this. You don't just meet somebody and ask for something right away. You provide some sort of value to that person. And then later in that, that uh, about 20 minutes later, um, he raised his hand again, and I just said, we're not watching your damn movie. <laughs> and everyone, and like, oh, you're brutal. I'm like, I'd rather it, me be brutal to him here than him being in a room somewhere doing something stupid. So I think that's the biggest tip I can give you, uh, and I know RB would agree, is that if you're going to meet, like, like I'm meeting you here. If you come up to me after the, after the panel and say, hey, can you watch my short film? No, I'm not going to watch your short film. If you come up to me like, I'm going to provide some sort of value to you, like, I'm, and you've done research on this person, you're like, hey, you know what? I know you doing this and this. I know somebody that might be able to help you. No strings attached. And you start building a relationship. When I reached out to RB, I was a, I was a little nobody with a little podcast. 
And I said, you know what? I'm gonna, I want to provide value to you to spread your word and to spread, you know, to promote your brand through my podcast. And RB said, sure, because I'm providing value for him. I'm asking him for something, but I'm providing value in return. And that, and that relationship has been extremely fruitful over the last four years that we've known each other. So that's the key is being that way. And then online, for God's sakes, don't yell out, hey, someone support my crowdfunding campaign. Hey. Or drop into somebody's DM, which is... Oh, don't do that. Do not DM somebody. I get them all the time. Hey, I'm sorry. Look, guys, you know, I'm doing this Kickstarter for my for an short film. And, uh, you know, can you, can you, like, spread the word? No. No. I'm not going to spread the word. I'm not trying to be a dick about it, but... I don't know you. I don't, I don't know, know if you're good. I don't, I don't know, know anything. I don't know if you have talent. I know nothing. I, exactly. So why, in God's green earth, would I put myself out there to promote you? Now, I, I literally have people... Like, I had a... Next week, I'm going to release this podcast, but I had a guy sent me a email of at least it was like the bible it was this long monstrous email i don't i didn't know him from adam but for whatever reason i started reading it and it i just for whatever reason it happens but i just like let me this some dude wrote a lot so i'm just gonna read the first few because this is crazy so i started reading the few and then i started reading and reading and reading and it was a story about how he completely um he he emotionally broke down after he made his first short film and it was on the shelf for four years. He had to move back in with his parents. And then by listening to my podcast, he was able to bring, get out, like rise from the ashes and release his film. And he wanted to share that information with me. And I said, you know what, man? I want you on the show. And for a short film, uh, a, a, a guy from, uh, from Norway who has no following, who has no nothing, but he provides a value to me because I know how many other filmmakers in the world have gone through that. That was providing value to me, and because of that, I'm giving them a shot on the show. You know, on a show that filmmakers would kill to be on to promote their movie, but he provided value to me. So that's a little bit, and you can continue. I could talk for hours, and both of us can. You could talk for hours, just go down to the bar. <laughs> you bring the bar to yourself. So. I, well, yeah, I'm surprised they didn't roll one up. Um, you guys should read an article called No I will not read your fucking script. <laughs> Look it up. Google it. I'm so not good. joking. So good. I'm not joking. Okay, it was written by a, a writer, a feature writer, who basically talked about the fact that he gets hit up all the time, including by people in his family who are like, hey, you know, I wrote a script. Can you read it? And he's like, no. And here's the reasons why. And part of the reasons why is, you know, first of all, I don't have the time. Because, you know, people say to me sometimes, well, you know, you have, it's only two hours to read my script. You read your script. And I'm like, that may be true, but I have 17 on my to-read file. I'm, re I'm writing them. I'm producing them. I'm running a company. So that, you know, and I don't know you, right? So look at that. Look at I. You know, uh, it, it took him. It took him about three months to read my manuscript for my book, and I know him. That's <laughs> kind of bullshit. It's kind of. I true. kind of pushed it to the top. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, look, it, it really is. It's all about the value you bring, and it's all about the relationships, and it's all about knowing your audience, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we get hit up all the time by people in this business. I mean, especially when you're running a platform like this, you know, everybody wants to hit you up, and I can't tell you the sheer amount, I'm not even joking, probably 30 to 40 DMs a week or messages oh. a week saying, can you either read my script? 
finance my project, produce my project, and from people I don't know. You build relationships with people. This is a relationship business. How many people are here with a film? Okay. How many people here want to be filmmakers that, aren't, that don't have a film here? How many people want to be writers? Okay. Here's the deal. You all are searching. You're all reaching for the same brass ring. You're all trying to do the same thing. So the question becomes, as you move along in your career, and I love saying this to people, why you, why now? You have to ask yourself that question all the time. When you walk into a room and you're gonna meet you know, an executive or you're on, for example, if you're a writer and I've been in this situation, where you're gonna go pitch an assignment, okay? Or you're gonna pitch for a job and you know there are 20 other people pitching, the question I always ask myself is why me, why now? It's not enough for me to walk into that room with a unique idea or a unique take on what they're looking to do. I have to win that room as somebody that can, that they know they could work with, somebody that's open to their opinions, somebody that's gonna listen. You know, you get a lot of people that walk in and have great ideas and they have massive egos. And guess what ends up happening? They love the idea, but they don't like the writer. They don't wanna work with them. Me as a producer, I can tell you, man, there have been plenty of times where I've met some very, very talented people and you start getting into the weeds with them and you start asking them some questions and you realize that they're me people and this is a collaborative business and when you're on a set for 30 days or 35 days or 40 days, you don't want people that are gonna ruin your set. They could be talented as all freaking hell. It doesn't matter. I've seen people lose jobs because of that. So you have to ask yourself in every situation, you're all looking for the same thing here. You're all trying to be successful. You're all trying to win the day. You all wanna be as big, as great, make as much money as you can, all of that. But why you, why now? And you have to look at every situation like that. And that's the difference. I also wanna to touch on something that is also another virus that runs through, through our business. And I'm gonna talk from experience. Uh, the desperate, the desperate energy. Smell it from 10, miles, you can, 10 million miles. RB and I and people in the business, we can smell that desperate, that desperate, like that thing. Because I was that dude. When I first got here, I met anybody with even a remote amount of any perceived power to help me get to my dream. I was on them like white on rice. It was just like, hey man, how you doing? Hey, can you read my script? Hey, can you do this? It's such a turnoff, and it's such a, it, you need to get away from that because we can smell it and professionals can smell it coming a mile away. And it's, and you get one kind of first impression a lot of times and you can't be that way. So that's a, another tip. It's about networking more than audience building, but uh, I mean, it's something that I think is a major problem. I'm sure what well, we were just talking about, DMing, that's a desperate, those are desperate kind of like, ah, ah, ah. And, and, I, and I always feel like instead of being desperate, because people ask me now, they're like, oh, you know, aren't you, don't you want to like go out and make bigger movies than the movies that I make? And I'm like, yeah, sure, but I'm good. Like, I don't have a desperate energy anymore because I'm very comfortable with what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. I'm happy. I designed a, a, a company in a world that makes me happy and I can provide value to my audience and I'm able to make the movies that I want to make. I'm not desperate about that. When when opportunities show up, you know, I'll take that Marvel meeting. I think we both will. 
you know? You might, I would. <laughs> For my own reasons. <laughs> you probably already took that meme. But, uh, <laughs> but so to try to find that, that place of happiness within you so you don't give off that desperate energy because it's, it's just going to hurt you. And, and, and one other thing is uh, don't become that bitter, angry filmmaker. Because I know we all know an angry bitter film. How many people here know an angry bitter filmmaker? If you did not raise your hand, you are the bitter and angry <laughs> filmmaker. I was gonna say raising your hand for yourself. I was gonna say that you are. If you're not, if you don't know someone, you are the dude that everybody else knows or the girl. So don't be that person. Because I was, I was so angry. I was so bitter. Anytime I saw anybody have any sort of success around me, I'd be like, why not me? I'm talented. I can do it. Why can't I? Why haven't I got the shot? That guy has. And you would read the trades and you see these, like, you know, kids getting, you know, a hundred million dollars. Yeah, but people think those are overnight. Too. They're opinion, not. They're like, not. Like when Brie Lawson got nominated for the Oscar, they're like, she's an overnight success. No, she's, she's not. She's no, no. no, no. She's not because exactly. she was eight. Yeah, but there's like, you know, what's his name? Uh, the guy who did Fantastic Four. You know? Well, Listen, no, Hollywood will give the independent filmmaker that has one success yeah, a shot. The, the shot. I mean, that's and that's that's starting to change a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I would get so upset. Like, oh, that, he ruined that movie. I could have done so much better. No, I don't know if I could have or not. It doesn't matter. You can't be in that place. So get out of that mindset is what I'm saying. This is why I'm so happy because I don't go to those movies. So I don't have to think that. I don't have to think I could do any better. I'm like, ah, screw this one. Um, no, look. Somebody said to me recently, the two keys to this the two keys to this business are perseverance and relationships. Think about what's missing from there. Talent. Yeah. We're assuming talent, right? That's We're good. assuming talent. That gets you in the door. Get you in the door. Yeah. What? Yeah, it may not even get you in the door. Sometimes talent. And relationships get relationships are everything. I can't stress this enough. It is the biggest mistake that creatives make is that you know if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and you know it's funny. I've had this happen to me a million times. It just happened at another film festival, where somebody will come up to me and they will you know be standing at a party or standing at a bar or whatever, and somebody will come up to me and they'll be like, hey, you know, oh, you're the CEO of so your RB, oh my god, you know, that's great, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, no, 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 yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I love the platform, yeah, it's great, like, I've been on there for a while, um, but, you know, I really don't get anything out of it, and I'll be like, pull out your phone, log in, and they'll pull out the phone and they'll log in, and I'll, and they'll be like, I, you know, I've been on for like five years, I'm like, log in, they log in, they have two connections those two connections are me and the managing director of stage 32 which you get by default okay it's like tom for myspace exactly right that's exactly right for all, for all millennials myspace only was a, a much more cool. yeah you that to me i'm not old so enough old. to know what that is you wish sir yeah so anyway i'll be like so two connections and then, this literally happened a week ago, nine years ago. Two connections and they had one post. This is six years. One post. And I said, load that post. And the post was like, I have this film and I'm looking to raise money. And I said, and I said to them, I go, okay, so this is basically what you've done. Let me, let me give you the equivalent of, of what you're doing in your day to day. You get out of bed in the morning. Actually, you wake up in the morning, you stretch and you go, God, I'm freaking fantastic. I'm so talented. And then you walk into the living room and you sit on the couch 
And then at like seven o'clock at night, you call up your mother and you go, you know, it's fucking crazy. Nobody came today to hire me or to give me money for my movie. I don't get it. And I and that person went, yeah, I think I, I need to I need to get more involved. At the end of the day, if you don't have relationships and you're not working them every day, you're not working. You're not working. People talk about, I hear this with screenwriters, screenwriters all the time. You need to be writing every day. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, if you're a writer in this room, that is absolute bullshit. Write when you need to write, write when you want to write. But I tell you, I'll tell you what you can be doing on the days you don't want to be writing, and that is networking. It is building relationships. And in this day and age where you have a platform like this, and I don't even care if you don't use Stage 32, which I'll get into that in a minute, by the way, you could use your Facebook and you know whatever the hell else you want to use, okay? But if you're not working it every day, then you lose it. You're getting outplayed. You know, they asked Michael Jordan at the height of his you know powers, why are you in the gym every day shooting a thousand free throws? And he said, if not me, somebody else is doing it, okay? I want to be the best. If you don't want to be the best, if you don't want to be out there making the biggest connections, the thing that's going to separate all of you guys in this room, everybody raised their hand, the thing that's going to separate you in this business is certainly going to be your talent. Of course, you guys understand that. But it's going to be the connections you make along the way and how you manage those connections. So there's no excuses on that. And if you're not doing it every day, you're losing. Preach. 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 No, it's, you got to be relentless. I mean, you've got to be so relentless and so obsessed with what you're doing and work every single day. There's a reason why my podcast became the number one filmmaking podcast in a plethora of other podcasts out there. It's because I pounded it harder than anybody else. When everybody else was doing one a week, I said, well, everyone's doing one a week. I'm going to do two a week because nobody else is, I'm gonna double up everything that everybody else is doing. And because of that, I was able to get more attention, more content was being pumped out. And now I'm at a point where I'm sick and I have no idea how I'm pumping out four podcasts a week, plus all the other content I put out a week. And I'm, but it's a machine now, and I got, I got to the point where I'm just relentless about it. Relentless is a great word to use, relentless. You know, after Michael Jordan won like one of the many rings that he won, the, the, the night that he won, he was back out after everybody was in the in the locker room celebrating. He went back out on the court to do free throws. He's like, gotta get started for next year. That's a champion. That's someone who's relentless. You know, if you want to write, write, write every day if you want to. But also network every day. Network. You got You got to network every day. You've got to have. You just got to keep pounding it every single day. The reason why I've been as successful as I have been is because I'm relentless. I'm relentless. Everyone looks around me like, I don't even know how you do it. It's because I'm, I'm just psycho. I'm sick like that. I just keep doing it. I'll, I always tell people, I'm like, you might be more talented than me. You might have more connections than me, but you will not outwork me. Because if someone shows up with two podcasts a week, I'll be busting out 10 podcasts a week. Because I'm crazy. I'm loco. You know? And you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't negotiate with loco. So... Um, <laughs> And that's, but that's, I mean, I have a hustle hat on, for God's sakes. It's true. It's about, I'm on brand all the time. I'm hustling all the time. His I, toilet paper says hustle. I do. Into his house. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. But, but when you come from where I come from, which was like a small market in Miami, you know, with no connections, no networking, and I had no skills like he's talking about, about networking, I just 
didn't. I was a desperate filmmaker. I had to do something, and I just outworked everybody. You know, I'll take someone who's who will work harder than someone who's talented. Well, and the thing about this business is that people, you gotta understand, the people that have been in this business for a while are battle-tested, man. I mean, they're battle-tested, and they are cynical. They're cynical, some people use their cynicism in a very good way, and you should. You need to have that hardened shell. And what I mean by that is you're gonna face a ton of rejection, right? You're gonna hear no, you know, 99.9 .9 times out of 100. You gotta learn how to deal with that no, what you learn from that no, we can get into all that. If you guys feel like asking questions on that, we certainly can talk about that. But you have to learn how to handle that rejection. It's not easy, things fall apart, you get that yes, you're like, oh my God, we're running, this is gonna be fantastic. And then you know, the wheels come off the wagon in the last tenth of a mile. Happens all the time. You battle tested. People that have done this for a long time have seen it all. So when you try to bullshit somebody, or when you try to bring, you know, this kind of optimism even in a way that like, oh, I've done this and I've done that. And I, people see right through it. So, you know, the other side is, I said, we're almost starting on stage 32 strike. This is another one I hear all the time. I mean, I heard this like 50 times at Cannes this year. It was amazing. People come up to me and they're like, oh, stage 32, I love stage 32. I'm on stage 32. I don't really use it that much. I got to get more busy with it. And they're saying it to me like I'm going to be lying awake at night, staring at the ceiling going like, Dude, I hope that guy with the, the hat starts using stage 32. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen The Fugitive? Yes. The movie The Fugitive? Yeah. You guys know Tommy The Fugitive, Lee Jones, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. If you guys don't know the movie, I'll set this up. So, Harrison Ford has been accused... <laughs> you know what I know exactly what you Harrison Ford has been accused of murdering his wife. He's innocent, okay? But he has to go on the run because he's being traced, chased by U.S. Marshals, one of which Tommy Lee Jones plays. Tommy Lee Jones' only job is to bring this guy home. He could give a shit about anything else. He's got to bring this guy home. So there is this great scene in the movie where he finally traps him in, I don't know, in caves the, above the, a waterfall, the, oh, or the dam, yeah, yeah, the dam, yeah. whatever, and he traps him and he says, you know, basically freeze, and, and, you know, Harrison Ford turns around and he says, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones goes, I don't care. <laughs> That's me when somebody comes up to me and says, I'm on stage 32, but I don't use it. It's your loss. I don't care. It's more opportunity, honestly, for me and for the people that are using it correctly and the people who do get up every morning and work their asses off and make those connections. I tell everybody this, and this is no lie, okay? I've been in this business for 10 years. Everything good that's happened to me over the last eight years, every movie I've produced, everything that's happened, even meeting this guy, has come through running this platform, not being the CEO, but being a member of the platform and connecting with people, okay? Every single day. And what I tell people, when they ask me for one piece of advice, I say, your craft is half your job. Most creatives think the craft is 99% of the job. It's not. Your craft is half your job. Networking and building relationships is the other half. And if you're not doing it every day, I don't care. You're doing yourself a disservice. I hope you do it because you, if you do, you may build a career where one day we cross paths and maybe we work together because that's the way this business works. You'd be amazed over the last eight years how many people. I just produced a movie in Chicago. The guy that produced the movie 
was uh, somebody I met on stage 32, or the, my fellow producer, I should say, uh, who brought me in, was a member of stage 32. He used the platform to hire the entire cast and crew, with the exception of maybe two or three people. And he basically spent that entire four or five years building up to this thing, including hiring the screenwriter, networking to make sure that when we had the money, he had the crew in Chicago. Awesome. That's awesome. But that's also working it every day. These people came on set like they knew him forever, and they were meeting him face to face for the first time. But they had networked with him for years. That's the way it works. Long, long game, long game. The long, it's a marathon, not a sprint. The long game, absolutely. And I want to piggyback on something you said in regards. Please do. In, in regards to <laughs> this son of a. Um, <laughs> the uh, the whole battle hardened, battle tested idea. You know, RB and I both have lots of shrapnel um, from this business, and and I've, I mean, I wrote a whole book about how I almost made a twenty million dollar movie for the mob. And then was running around Hollywood and you know chasing that dream and all that kind of coming to stuff. theaters in 2023, <laughs> 2023, 2024. Yes, okay. yeah. I think I think Meryl would be for perfect for it. Um, <laughs> so um, that battle hardened test, that shrapnel, I, I, is so important because I mean I've been doing I've been in the business for 25 years. I started when I was about 18, went to film school, did the whole thing, and I just been hustling hard all those all those years and I've gone up and down so many times the biggest wish I can give all of you is that it takes time for you to make it in whatever way you want to make it if you want to be the overnight success I, I, I do not wish that for anybody because there's very few people who can handle overnight success and there's examples all over Hollywood and the history of Hollywood of people who were given the golden key too early way too early you know if i was 26 when i was 26 trying to make that 20 million dollar movie for the mob if that mob movie would have gone through i think i would have probably self-imploded like i would have just destroyed myself you know my ego was completely out of control i just wasn't prepared i didn't have enough shrapnel yet and i really wish all of you it takes time for you to get because that is what's going to make you last long term in this business is that shrapnel that thing you know, everybody who's anybody in this business has that shrapnel. Yeah, sure, there's an occasional Robert Rodriguez, you know, but I promise you. But he is shrapnel. Oh, man, does his career right now. I mean, I mean, you know what I mean? It, 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 it's a long game. But he was but he was dealing with shrapnel inside the system. Absolutely. He was in the party, you know. The bouncers threw me out constantly. <laughs> um, but he was invited in the party, but then he that's was... because you don't drink. Obviously. <laughs> and I'm vegan, obviously, so that's, that's another... <laughs> Where's that juicy steak, by the way? You promised that juicy steak. Where is it? Is it grass-fed gluten-free? No. Uh, <laughs> so I really do hope that for you guys. Is, is don't be in a rush. That was my biggest mistake of this business. Is I'm like, I want it now. When is it going to happen for me? I want it. I want that lottery ticket. And I grew up in that time period where it was the 90s. You know, I, I grew up in the 90s uh, boom of independent film. When independent film was kind of born. The independent film that we know today where... Steven Soderbergh and, and Rodriguez and Tarantino and, and all those great Spike Lee, all those kind of directors. Every week, there was a check and, a, and, a, and another career was being made. So that lottery ticket mentality screwed me up forever to the point it took me until I was 40 to direct my first feature film because I built it up so much in my head that I couldn't do it. And then now I'm, now I'm unstoppable making $3,000 movies with this guy. <laughs> I grew up much later, so I don't recognize a lot of those names. <laughs> 
I would say, I would say the, the it's not just. I mean, with a straight face. Is that great? I think there's a little. There's a little. No? Yeah, it's a little. You're, you're, the highlight. You're highlighting great. That's very. That's very nice. It's very uh, fashion forward of you, sir. The shrapnel. It's not just what you learn. It's not. It's not just taking on the shrapnel. It's what you learn from it. Yes. That's the key in this business. Everybody takes on the shrapnel. Everybody, you know, gets hit. And it's really kind of what you learn. We talked earlier about having that rough, callous kind of skin. It really is important because it, it, it is a bit, there's no other business really, there's none, where uh, it's not a meritocracy. We know that. You know, even for guys like Scorsese and Spielberg and everything like that, you know, it took, it took you know, Spielberg, I, I say this all the time, it took Spielberg to go to India to get the money for Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. You know, it took Scorsese 20 years for to silence. get silence yeah. to get made. Now, granted, if he would have wanted to get it made for a million dollars, which it probably should have been made for instead of 50, he probably would have gotten made it early, you know, Scorsese. earlier. He but Scorsese, but you know, get he, my point. He you know, get but but still, things. nobody was going to give him that money for his passion project. So this is a business to know, and you have to be nimble, and you have to know how to adjust, and you know have to, you know you have to know how to find the value in every no, mm -hmm. and the meaning in every no, and the positive in every no. And it's not easy for a lot of people, but if you can do that, that also gives you a competitive advantage, in my opinion, because a lot of people wallow in that. And trust me, I did that at the beginning too. I have to say that, you know, I used to be here, I get a piece of bad news, and I would go here. Mm. I got a piece of good news, I go here. Now, it's like I get a piece of bad news, I go here. I get a piece of good news, I go here. <laughs> the movie's in production, I'm up here. The whole thing falls apart, maybe I'm down here for a couple of days, but then I sit there and go, okay, where can we take it next? Right. What can we do with it? You know, we had it here, so there was interest here, so there's got to be interest someplace else. Where do we go with it? You mean the money so fell through? Oh, well, not just the money. Sometimes, sometimes it's the, you know, sometimes it's the creative end. Oh yeah. Sometimes sure. the company goes bankrupt. I've dealt with that. Yeah, we're shooting in two days. No, we have no money. The company went bankrupt. Oh. But all the actors shit. are already flown out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or the actor, right? Yeah. You know that actor that was ready to come on set tomorrow to rehearse. But I have a letter of intent. But I have a letter of intent. Yeah. Okay. He's, isn't, that, uh, isn't that enough? He's decided. No. Can I just take you the letter of intent no. to the bank? No. Know. This happens all the time, and it happens all the time. It sucks. It's, again, it's, it's a very, if you're looking at it in comparison to other industries and other businesses, it's a very unfair business from the standpoint of, I've done the work, I've created something, people are interested, people are putting money into it, it's great, and then all of a sudden it falls apart. Or, I just did this movie last year, it won 65 laurels of all these different, you know, film festivals, and now I'm on to the next thing, it should just blow up, and it doesn't. You know, it, it's unfair that way, but then that's, you know, that's kind of, it's also kind of, a, it should be an incentive to you guys to control as much as you can control. In this day and age, in my opinion, in an era, you know this, in an era with studios, you know, controlling everything and they're only making what they want to make and they're making franchises and they're making just things based on IP and everything like that, my opinion is you control the project as far as you can until you have to relinquish it. You go all the way. This guy shot a film for $3,000 at Sundance. He's controlled it the whole way through. I know a lot of other filmmakers that have done that. 
where they, you know, they're holding on to it to the end. Of course they want to sell it. Of course they want to bring it to a festival and have somebody come in and go, hey, we'll take it on for $3 million. We'll take it on for $5 million. We'll do whatever. Everybody wants that. But at the end of the day, if you're controlling it all the way through, guess what? You can take it as far as close to the finish line as possible, and if the ultimate goal doesn't happen, there are a million other avenues for you to take that, you know, where you're going to take film it. Entrepreneur. Well, <laughs> but, but I mean, I'm even talking about just the film. Yeah, no. Like, you know, you controlled it all the way through, yeah, right? Yeah, you're yeah. saying, now I'm going to self-destruct. I'm going to take it here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That's my point. It's a great so place to be. at the end of the day, my opinion, if you're making independent film in this day and age, control as much as you control for as long as you can control it. Understand the business. I know there's a lot of filmmakers, a lot of writers, a lot of actors that just want to go create. You're doing yourself a disservice. Understand what's happening in the industry. Understand who's making what. Understand your distribution channels. Understand your money channels. Understand where the tax incentives are. Understand what's going on with co-country pro, uh, uh, co productions. Understand it all. The more you know, I hate to say knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, power, sir. It's an NBC thing. The more you know. The more you know. But the more you know, the better off you're going to be. And the bigger, I keep coming back to this, the bigger competitive advantage you're going to have throughout. I want I want to... I kicked my leg out for that. That was very nice. That was very nice. Did you, did you, pull, the emphasis. Did you pull something, sir? I did not. <laughs> Unlike you, I exercise. Oh! <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, really? He's much more healthy than I am. Yeah. <laughs> He's a vegan. He doesn't drink. I wake up yeah. every morning at 4.20 to go to work out, sir. How dare you? You walk from the bedroom to the... To the you man, know that's the, not true. To the man you cave? You know that's not true. You look fantastic. I want to make something very clear for you guys. And I, I don't know if anyone's going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this. And I'd rather you hear it from me than somebody else later down the line. You're coming out? No. Uh, RB, I've always had this. <laughs> No, um, I don't care what your dream is, if it's a filmmaking, a directing, producing, writing, and, and your story of how you're getting there, how you're making your movie, I have a real big secret to tell you about this business. No one gives a crap about your dream, about you, or what you've gone through, where you're going, what you want. No one cares. Period. So let that settle for a second. I know it's rough, but it's tough love because I want you to understand. It took me forever to figure that out. No one owes you anything. No one cares about your background, what struggles you've gone through. You know, oh, I, I made the movie for a thousand dollars. Don't care. Is the movie good? Then we care. Can it make us money? At the end of the day, they only care about one thing. It's money. Period. Everybody in this business cares about one thing. Is it going to make me money? Is there successful? Is there potential for revenue in this? That's what they care about. They could care less about your story. You know how many times I get pitched a movie now? Like, I made the movie for $5,000. I'm like, that's, that worked in 1991 when nobody was doing that. Now, you know, everyone did that. And I tell people all the time, like, that's not enough to get on the show, guys. What's your story? What are you doing? What else? What other piece of value you can provide for me? Just on, 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 the, on the example of being on my show. But no one cares. And as soon as you understand that, it's very liberating. Because no one owes you anything. Nobody owes you anything in this business. And I promise you, if you don't learn that lesson, you're going to get it. You're, you're going to get it. Like Mike Tyson says, I'm going to do two quotes. Mike Tyson says, we all have a plan until someone gets punched in the face. Mouth. That, uh, mouth, mouth, my face, mouth. 
And secondly, if I may quote the, um, the incomparable Rocky Balboa, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And that is a perfect quote for this business. Because you're going to get hit, and you're going to be dropped to your knees, and you're going to be sitting like I was across the table from Batman, who wants to be in my movie. And a week later, I'm off the project. And then I go into depression for two years, after a year of running around with a monster. This, this, is, this is the shrapnel I had. That's why when I launched my podcast, it was a little grizzled voice on the other end of it. You know, so uh, I just want you guys to be clear about that. I want you to really let that soak in because it's very liberating. Once you realize that no one cares, <laughs> that no one cares. No one gives a crap about anything that you're going through. We don't. We care about one thing being professional, can you get money out of it, and so on. Would you agree, sir? Well, it's film business. It's not, That's... It's not film friends, not show business. It's show business, not show friends. Yeah. You know, if you look throughout the annals of, of Hollywood history, you would wonder why. I mean, you will see some filmmakers that work with the same producers and, you know, over and over again, like a Scorsese with an Erwin Winkler, for example. But you, you look at that even. There were some films that Erwin Winkler did not want to get on board with Scorsese. I mean, it happens all the time because they didn't see the value in the project. Mm -hmm. But they also had that relationship where they can go back to the well over and over and over again. The bottom line is everybody wants to make money in this business. That's what they're here for. And, you know, if you can prove that you know as much of the landscape as humanly possible and that you can control as much of the landscape as humanly possible, you are bringing enormous value to people. Think about it. I mean, it's even the same thing. I'm producing films left and right, and every day when you sit there and you look at, like, you know, you will have people that will bring us a tremendous story with great IP. You know, it's based on a true story. They have the rights to the book and everything like that. And, you know, we'll start talking about it. We'll say, okay, is there a screenplay? Yes, there is. Okay, the screenplay is pretty good. Probably needs to be rewritten. And then we start talking to other producers and, or production companies, and they'll say, do you have a director? Do you have an actor? Okay, so it's more and more value because we have six other projects that have, you know, a director attached and an actor attached. And Same thing with TV. And you're pre-sold. Pre well, maybe not yet, <laughs> but I mean, I'm saying like even TV-wise, like, you know, one of the things, like there's a couple of projects that are moving around right now that are involved with that it's like we love the project, but can you get a showrunner? Do you have an actor for the lead? Because now if you bring in that value, the less work that they have to do, the more value you have. I mean, that's really, what, that's really what it comes to. And that's why I'm saying you have to know the business. I get out of bed every morning, I and mean, this has been my routine for the last five, six, seven, eight years. I get out of bed every morning, make my coffee, and I sit down and I read the trades. First thing, and I wanna know who's moving where, who's producing what, what agents have moved, what managers have moved, what, what film production companies are now moving into TV, what guy that used to run this shingle is now moved into TV. I need to know that. And then if it has, if, it, if one of those people has, is moving into a spot where they're producing, you know, a crime drama, for example, which I have a couple of these that we're producing, I sit there and I say, okay, I'm gonna give them two, you know, a couple of days to get their furniture in and, you know, get settled, you know, <laughs> and get, you know, feel, you know, feel good about where their desk is, and then I'm gonna send it to them. I'm gonna hit them up and say, or I'm gonna go to somebody at an agency that I know and say, hey, you know that guy? throw it over to him. That's an advantage. I know that, okay? And I'm knowing that at 5.30 in the morning. 
you know, and I'm sitting there looking at it. It's a big, big advantage. Even if it doesn't work, you know what I'm showing these people? I'm aware. And you know what'll happen? 99% of the time, if they go, I love when you shake your head. This is my validation. He's been shaking his head the whole way. If there's anybody in this room that understands this, it's Franco. You know, if, if they don't like it, you know what I get 99% of the time? This one isn't right, but you have an open door to bring me the next one and the next one and the next one. Yep. yep. Because it's pretty cool. I like it. We're not going to run with it. Or, hey, if you could bring this asset and this asset, bring it back to me. Mm-hmm. That's the way. That's I the mean, business. it just is. And it's bringing value. It's Always. bringing value. It's Always. not just bringing the script. Everybody has a script. It's bringing the script and, you know, the producer, the other producers who have done things before, the showrunner, the right, I mean, the, uh, the actor, maybe a director, whatever it is, that's the thing. You're bringing more and more value. It makes their job easier. So let's open it up for questions because you hit, Arby and I can talk for hours. So let's, let's open up the questions. Does anyone have any questions? What time does the bar open? <laughs> yes, go ahead. Somebody bring me a box of provides instant value to anybody so if I want to reach out to somebody I just go hey I'm gonna be the guest on my show uh-huh. and that's an automatic value and then and then they're in my web as you can see and uh, <laughs> but it's for me that's that's the way I do it so that's one way of value I, I add right away but you know if you don't know them and you're just like cold calling them it's gonna be rough you know you're gonna have to figure a way out to do it I think complimenting or posting or saying, hey, great article. And that's the way a lot of people have gotten my attention online is because I'll post something and I just see someone constantly retweeting me or, or constantly leaving comments and stuff like that. It People do take awareness of that. They're like, hey, I love what you're doing. All of that kind of stuff. And that's a way of providing value to the person. So when you do reach out to them in some way, hey, God, you know, I have a question. Would you be so kind to ask? Because you've already you know, given us a lot of value by commenting and doing things like that. Hey, what would you suggest for this? You know, and you start working it that way, and you, it's a slow game. It's a slow, especially depending how big some of these people that you're trying to reach are. And then also do your research, like really, who who do you want to reach, and why do you want to reach them? You know, you gotta be you gotta be somewhere authentic in in the kind of value you want to provide for them because we'll smell it as well. But do that. I think that's a that's a good. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a great question. I mean, it really is. And I have a rule of three. And the rule of three is that I'm going to give three times before I ever ask for anything. Yeah. I didn't read that, but okay. But uh, <laughs> I'm familiar. But that, yeah, okay. 
But uh, yeah, no, my rule of three is I give three times before, you know, at least, at least I try to give and give. But I appreciate where you're coming from. So I, I understand where you're, you're looking at it more from a producing act, like getting something done or making that connection. What I would say in that case is that I, I would say that it's not impossible and I would say that, yeah, you should go for it. But the way I would go for it is to try to find the connective tissue between why you're asking this person for this particular thing and how it relates to something that they have done in the past. You know what I mean? It's not enough to say, you know, hey, Blumhouse, you did this contained horror movie for under $100,000, and guess what? I have a contained horror movie for under $100,000, so we have something in common. Can we go have cocktails? You won't get a response. And, you know, don't sit in front of your computer. Um, but there is a way to go to the director of that movie or maybe one of the producers of that movie and to say, you know, hey, really enjoyed that movie. I had and asked a couple of very pertinent questions about it. Um, and to say, you know, I have, a, you know, there's this project I'm working on that, you know, I would love to be able to maybe ask you a couple of questions or, you know, any, you know, something that just gives it a little bit more of a connected tissue and makes it more personal. At the end of the day, the thing that gets lost in this business a lot, because you have the perception that people have achieved, I mean, well, certainly you have the fact that people have achieved more or, you know, have climbed that ladder, but then there's also this perception that people are untouchable. Nobody's untouchable. At the end of the day, everyone's a human being and everyone has needs. And as Francis Ford Coppola famously said, and I agree, they asked Coppola one time, he was at the height of his powers after he had done the two Godfather movies and he had done Apocalypse Now, they said to him, wow, you know, it's a reporter said to him, you know, you must feel really confident at this point. And he said, any artist that feels confident with anything at any time isn't truly an artist. And that's the truth. Nobody ever feels, I mean, even Scorsese said it recently with, with The Irishman. They were like, well, you know, you got to feel really great going. He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, I'm worried that nobody's going to show up. And because that's really the worry you have. If you're a true artist, you don't think that the art's going to connect, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has insecurities, and everybody wants those insecurities to be served and to be addressed in a lot of ways. And the best way for an artist to have their insecurities addressed is to have another artist come in and ask them questions. So if you can come in and pipe into that and tap into that, you, you'll do fine. But just understand also, if you do this 20 times, you might get two responses. That's okay. Yep. You know what I mean? That's all right. Just don't get discouraged by it. Understand that not everybody, you know, not everybody is social. Not everybody's going to respond. Some people hate email. You know, they just might not respond. So don't don't get discouraged by that. But I but I would say if you come from a place of selflessness and col and a collaborative spirit and an artist spirit, you'll get responses more often than you think. Thank you. We're not going to watch your short film. <laughs> <laughs> good. So I do have uh, two questions. If I could. So we only said one. Okay. Good. No, I'll, I'll stick with this now. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, name talent, and of course, at times that can be somewhat subjective. And when you're an indie filmmaker in particular, you're trying to get the biggest name, and yet that's kind of a dichotomy. Do you have a kind of litmus test of vetting, you know, that name talent? Because what I wouldn't want to do necessarily is attach them too quickly and suddenly they become a, a liability versus an asset. And yet, I, you know, I've kind of heard the same thing. And I'm trying to discern the vetting process 
of that talent? Do you go to someone like with form pre-sales type of thing and say, what do you think about this person? Or... It completely depends on the film you're trying to make. And I, I know Franco, I hope you get to start nodding your head with this one. Um, it really does, it, no, it really does the... Oh, the, the question was, you know, going after name talent, like, are you looking at, you know, somebody that could bring value pre-sale wise? Are you looking like, how do you vet it? How do you look at it? So, we just did a movie in Chicago that was, the budget was about 250000 We knew exactly what we were dealing with. We knew exactly what we were going into. It's a story about uh, a lesbian couple that adopts a, ch a child that has um, Jacob's Syndrome. If you're not familiar with Jacob's Syndrome, that's a male that's born with an extra Y chromosome. It causes him to be very aggressive. It's now recognized as being on the autism scale. Um, but it hadn't been for a long time. So nobody understood what was going on with these children. They were just hey, prone to violent outbursts and everything like that. Well, we went in and we said, okay, at $250,000, the first thing we asked was, who's the audience for this film? And we addressed that first and foremost. That was much more important to us than what is the foreign pre-sale value of this film because at $250,000, and I think you will agree, this movie is not going into 2,000, you know, it's not going on 2,000 screens. We're gonna have to find a distribution avenue for this thing. So we kind of went the other way with this. So then it became less, how do we get actors that are gonna be valuable overseas and more, if people are seeing this in a supermarket or they are, you know, at their red box or they're at their, you know, or they're seeing they're watching Netflix or on Amazon, if they see a couple of name actors that they recognize where they watch this, you know, this film, above and beyond, of course, marketing and going into film festivals that serve this kind of material. So we hired people like Ed Asner, Sean Young, who was in Blade Runner, and you know, it's not a household name anymore. It's a face. Melanie, yeah, it's a face, it's a name. You know, people recognize her. Melanie Chandra, who it was on a, bi a billion of those Chicago cop shows, and he was on it, you know, a couple of ABC shows. She could lead on one of the, I forgot, Gabriel I'm blanking out of it now, but it's like Chicago, it's not Chicago Fire, but it's one of those. And those are the people that we brought on. They're, they're recognizable faces in a film with other actors and actresses that are amazing, that nobody knows. Um, and we're not worried about it. We're not worried about, you know, what's it gonna sell for in Turkey. You know what I mean? Like, what is Turkey gonna give us for this film? We're more- How much is Sean worth in Turkey? How much is Sean worth in Turkey? <laughs> I think that the two of us combined are probably worth more than Sean worth in Turkey. You know, so I'm huge in Turkey. Saying, I know you're huge, huge in Turkey. You're, you're, you are huge in Turkey. I should have said just you, not me. They don't know me in Turkey. Um, but you know, you understand what I'm saying. So really, it's a matter. This is why I come back to this idea. What we were talking about earlier about understanding the business. For us as producers, you know, when I'm producing, it's a very. I'm, I'm a very interesting hybrid because I'm, I'm a writer. I'm on the creative side, and I want to write what I want to write. But that doesn't mean that, that that's going to get produced. Like I recognize when I go in sometimes when I write something small, that it's a small indie and man, if this thing's ever gonna get produced, we're gonna have to go down to the dirt and we're gonna have to raise that money and you know dig it out. And we're not gonna, again, we're not gonna go on 2,000 screens. We're gonna have to go festival and everything like that. Sometimes when I write something big, I'm thinking like, oh, it's gonna be a Lionsgate movie, you know what I mean? But I'm aware of that going in. And it's the same thing when people bring projects to me. I know it's the same thing for you because we've talked about this. You know, people bring projects to you. You know exactly what you can do with it. So you really have to sit there and ask yourself, 
what do I want for this? Where is this project going? And is it just a matter of getting some really cool names so we can get into some festivals and people recognize it and we'll get some heat? And people may want to buy it, give us some money for it? Or is it something that I think is going to be much bigger and I want to go out there and get that kind of talent that gets foreign pre-sales, which by the way, that pool is getting smaller and smaller as we're sitting here. And, you know, and everybody that is valuable is going after them. So you went after the, uh, the acting talent, not necessarily the director, writer talent. That's true. The writer and director actually came from Stage 32. They were, one of them, the writer had never written anything, had never had anything produced before. She wrote a great script, and I have to say, she was one of a hundred that submitted scripts. And we picked hers. And it was fantastic. And the director had directed a couple of features, but nothing you would know. Uh, she directed actually, oddly enough, and this was total coincidence, she actually directed a short with Ed Asner about autism. And we were like, well, that's convenient. And that just, you know, but that was like five years earlier. It's not the reason that we hired, you know? The one thing I would say, uh, to, to piggyback what he said, is that you could also look, when you're looking at talent, you know, you can make the mistake of going after talent because you think there's some pre-sale value. I did, uh, I did a movie with, um, I don't want to say his name, but there's an actor that we all know, and uh, this this director, uh, this director producer paid this actor, you know, 20 grand, 30 grand to be out in the movie. And the problem is, that this actor uh, likes to do a lot of movies, so his value dropped dramatically. So all of a sudden, he thought his key actor that was going to bring him all these sales was. Uh, so oversaturated that he every time he went to a to a distributor, like oh, I got three of those movies with him in it, I, I can't use it. So it's really dangerous to do that. So you got to be careful about those things and see what the actor's also doing, you know. And then secondly, you got to also think outside the box when you're thinking about casting because who's your audience? Who's that niche audience? And if you're making a horror movie, you know, someone like Robert Englund, who's Freddy, you know, is huge in the horror space. And you can maybe get them for 10 or 15 grand for a day. And that will sell to that audience very easily where it doesn't really matter overseas or anything. It's just how you're selling it. So also look at the niche you're doing and who's huge in that niche. I did a, I, I interviewed a guy, some guys who did a movie called Range 15. And it was aimed at, at military and veterans. And what did they do? They peppered it with, you know, uh, Purple Heart loops, you know, and people who were huge in, in the military niche who've never acted before and all that audience that all that niche audience came running out and they ended up making over three million bucks self-distributing it on itunes and amazon uh, but that's another story but but that's my point so it's not always just like oh i'm gonna get nicholas cage because he's you know he pre-sells turkey you know it's 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 not about that uh, i'm sure nick does pre-sell turkey no, he does. Um, i think he does pre-sell turkey. turkey yes he does so um <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, be careful with that. It's a, it's a dangerous slope. Yes, sir. I'm seeing you started to address it. Shut up! <laughs> but you started to address it concerning how you write. Like, I want to write a, you know, I like writing small Indians. Yeah. More than I can so, we discussed this in the last panel as well. Conversos, like, if you, before the writing process starts, like, look, I figured, oh, man, the horror is great. So there's more letters in the word business than there is in the word show. Yeah, absolutely. So with that aspect, you, you start writing and then 
I said, like, look, I've got no projection, like, I see projections of poor fans are going to be projected 100% outcome and to understand. Yeah. Or just anyway, just in general, do you tell the creative process in order to hopefully address things that may be. Maybe it's, it's a very it's a very slippery slope. The question for, every, for everybody is: Do you curtail the creative process for the business aspect of the movie? It's a very slippery slope. I I am of the, of the mindset to yes, when you're writing and creating art, depending on the budget you're spending, it's how creative you be. If you make a movie for three thousand bucks, you could just kind of show up at Sundance and shoot a movie, you know. But if that movie cost me three hundred thousand dollars, it would be a completely different conversation. So it all depends on the budget range that you're doing. Is it something that you can are willing to lose? So if you're like, I'm going to finance a movie for twenty, thirty thousand dollars, is that your twenty, thirty thousand dollars? Then be as creative as you want. But also, are you looking at it as an artist or are you looking at it as a businessman? So you have to look at the business. But if you then start going too far down that road, of like, well, I'm going to do a horror movie and I'm going to I'm going to write this and I'm going to put this in there because that's what sold before. And then you just start getting it all muddy and it's, it gets it gets a little bit out of control. So there's a balance between the art and the business. But you've got to find that balance. But I personally, when I go after a project and when I consult filmmakers, I'm like, look at the business. Don't just look at the art. You can't go deep on one way or the other. You got to kind of ride that line both ways. I, I totally agree on not chasing the market. Do not chase the market. It's like the stock market. It plays 18 months out. You yep. know what I mean? So don't chase it. Uh, romantic comedies were dead 18 months ago. Now we're doing gigantic comedy contests with getting media to find romantic comedies. So don't chase the market. He spoke to the film end, I'll speak to the writing end. Look, at the end of the day, you are in control. You are the CEO of you. This is what a lot of creatives forget. They wanna get a manager because they think the manager's gonna run their career. Bullshit, I can tell you right, straight out. They might wanna manage a project, they might wanna manage one script or maybe a couple of things, you may have 10 others in the drawer that you really love. Guess what? They're not running with those because they have 15 other clients and 15 other things that can make them money. So it's up to you to go run with those. For me, I write what I want to write. It doesn't matter how small or how big it is. But if I'm writing something small, I mean a small indie, like something that I know is sort of that art house kind of thing, then I know that it's going to be a lot of work and I might have to go produce this thing myself or try to bring it along someplace to people that might want to run with it or I'm going to have to find a champion of this kind of material or the subject matter that's going to want to run with it to raise the money and I know it's going to be a two, three year, four year process. It's going to be a while, right? One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from my manager who is one of the biggest managers in the business who I just recently fired. And I fired him because I'm the CEO of my creative career, and he was working, another thing a lot of people don't understand, he works for me, I don't work for him. He forgot that, okay? And I reminded, of him, you know, reminded him of that fact, and not a lot changed, and he was a guy that's been doing it for 30, you know, 30 years, one of the biggest names in the business. But because he's been doing it 30 years, and been you know, one of the biggest names in the business, this guy's, kept, you know, this guy's catching residual checks in his mailbox every day that he's not waking up in the morning going, oh shit, I gotta go work on our beast thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, at noon he's thinking about it, but at nine o'clock in the morning he's not. I want the guy or the girl that's waking up at five in the morning going like, fuck man, I'm gonna go run with our beast thing. Okay, so I fired him. But, one, but I still got one of the greatest pieces of advice from him. 
He said, you write characters so well. He goes, they're so fantastic. He goes, but you're writing them in this small world, okay? Because if you could take these same characters and find that bigger world, you'd be writing studio-type films. Now, I don't really want to write studio-type films, but I got what he was saying. This is where the money is. If I'm selling a $1 million movie and I'm taking 10% of that, eh, I'm not too enthused. But if I'm selling something to Lionsgate, again, we're talking or whatever, and I'm going to make, you know, you're making this, and your rate goes to this, and I make 10% of that, now we're talking, okay? If you think about every movie from Star Wars all the way down to, like, Beasts of the Southern Wild, okay, the common denominator is characters. Yeah. It's themes. It's relationships. It's, it's all it is. It's just the difference between Beasts of the Southern Wild and Star Wars is that Star Wars happens in space. And there's chases, and there's things going on, and it's expensive. It's based on, of course, I was hidden fortress, which was thank a, you, which was a small, nerd. It's a small, <laughs> it's a small movie. <laughs> but you get my point. <laughs> thank you. Right. Are you kidding me right now? But you get where I'm coming from, right? <laughs> so at the end of the day, write what you want to write. But if you're good at writing characters, unbelievable. <laughs> if you're good at writing characters, you get it. You can you you you'll have the confidence to know that you can take that and put it into something much bigger. If you look at a movie like The Sixth Sense, is that based on something geeky? I don't know. Was no, it, it was an original. It was just yeah. Okay. But if you look at something like that, I mean, the debt, the friendship, the loss. The, the, these are I mean, it's all common theme. Every movie has these same common themes. Yeah. It's just the world that you put them into. So at the end of the day, write what you want. But if you understand, if you've got to understand, if you're writing something small, it might not get you that big manager, it might not get you that big agent, because they're in the 10% business, mostly, okay? Except the ones that are dealing with the WGA right now. Don't get me started, <laughs> I could spend another five hours. But I'm saying, but you get my point, right? If you're not making them money, or if you're not showing the potential to make them money, but, the, but again, you know, at the end of the day, a guy like Rich Link, you know, Richard Linklater, I mean, he's made a career, I mean, guys like this have made a career out of that, you know, making the smaller movies, Character. but they've carried it the whole way. Soderbergh, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's carrying it the whole way, shooting movies on his iPhone. You know, Paramount's not giving him 50 million to shoot it on the iPhone, he's going out and saying, all right, I'll do it for two. And I'll release it. But that's the difference, and you have to know that. You have to know that. And to, and to be fair, I do have a life-size Yoda at my house, so... I've seen that, too. It's right next to the Hustle toilet paper. And to be fair. And, uh, and, and a George Lucas autographed lunchbox. But uh, that's just me. Any other questions? Anyone? Can I just say something? Yes. Every time I see your face come up on my Facebook feed, it's a kick I'm sorry. in the ass. No, so I love it. You want to kick him in the ass? <laughs> that's kind of the way I feel. She's talking, sir, please. Oh, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, you're saying. Because your little face pops up, I'm like, oh my god, it's Alex! I better get on my phone. Like, you're so inspiring. Oh, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. My little fan, the little circle. I appreciate. I do appreciate that. That's how I feel every time I see anything. Every time a vegetable pops up on my screen, I think of you, and I get so inspired to eat more vegetables. No, you don't. Arby hasn't eaten a vegetable since '85. Any other questions, guys? 
Last chance, going once, going twice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if I could just say before you all leave. So tomorrow night we are screening our short film program. It's our fourth episode. Again, I know a lot of you are not familiar with Stage 32. This is kind of one of the things that we do uh, amongst many. But we have a short film contest every year that we run uh, where we curate, we, you know, we, we take six or seven films. They're, they're all judged by usually the Oscar winning, uh, the Oscar winner of the short film, uh, the short film winning director from the pro previous year for the Oscars, along with a ton of industry people. And we end up curating a program of six to seven films that we take to, we've taken it to Cannes, we take it to Raindance, we're taking it to Austin this year, and we've screened it for the last four years here at Holly Shorts. It'll be tomorrow night at 7.30. Uh, it'll be our fourth annual, and a bunch of the filmmakers will be here as well. So if you guys are here, you'll get to see the program. And one thing before we go, guys, I want everyone to take out their phones and download the Stage 32 app, and then also go wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe to Indie Film Hustle, Bulletproof Screenwriting, and the Film Entrepreneur Podcast. It's free. It's an insane amount of information that we pop out all the time. And Stage 32 is, I mean, come on. It's free. Why wouldn't you? And the book, the book that, I know you're selling your book, you can talk about yours. The book that Amanda's going to have, the book I wrote is called Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers. Crowdsourcing is not crowdfunding. It's about everything it's just, that we talk about tonight. It's, it's just about, not crowdfunding. It's about identifying, just engaging, and moving an audience for your brand and the brand of your film and your brand, your brand of your films, the brand of your projects, all of that. It's all about how to go about the best practices for building an audience for you and your brand. Also, they should take out their phone and follow you on Instagram. On Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Indie Film Hustle. And I am RB Walks Into a Bar. And I will be walking into a bar right now if you want to have any conversations. So, there you go. And I'll be selling my book as well, Shooting for the Mile. Follow. I almost made that $20 million for the mile. So, thank you. This book thank is you. tremendous, by the way. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. I want to thank RB for coming by and just, we just had such a good time. We always have a good time when we talk to each other. And thank you to Danny and Theo, the co-founders of the Holly Shorts Film Festival, for allowing me and RB to go up there and just talk and just have a good old time. If you guys have short films, Holly Shorts is arguably the best short film festival in the world. So definitely check them out. I'll put their links in the show notes. If you want to go to the show notes, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 341. And as a bonus, if you haven't heard, on episode 11 of the Film Entrepreneur podcast, I posted in that episode my workshop on how to become a film entrepreneur. And if you want to check that episode out, head over to filmtrepreneur.com forward slash 011 or just check the show notes for a link. Thank you guys for listening. I really, really appreciate all the support. If you haven't already, head over to filmmakingpodcast.com, subscribe, leave a review. It really helps our rankings out on Apple Podcasts. Thank you again so, so much for all the love, all the support, all the emails and messages I'm getting all the time from you guys. I'm so glad that this show and all the work that I'm doing is helping you on your journeys, guys. So as always, keep that hustle going, keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. 
Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.